I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison. And this is Podcast Without an Audience, where two friends pick two topics and find intersections. Or not. And I was thinking about intersections, actually, because we are featuring a podcast called Human Seeking Human, uh, which you've heard their um, advertisement for their podcast on ours. Once or twice now. Once or twice or three times, I think, at this point. We're doing it for a month, but... They are, they feature personal ads through like throughout time. So like you, how see it cool. like, just like such a fucking cool concept. How do I get on their radar? Right? How do they promote my personal ads? And, oh, that's a good point. We should, we <laughs> should get it. They're with, okay. So Carrie is looking for, no, but I was thinking about their podcast is all about connection also just like mm-hmm. ours but in such a different way and i've just like really loved being able to work with them the past couple of weeks um and just kind of tuning into like seeing how things are connected in the world i definitely am yeah. looking for that so much more these days me too and I think it's really interesting. Like, when you start looking for it, you start seeing those little connections like everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. But I think, like, the the connectivity, too. Like, I'm also really looking forward to being at Pod Prom in a couple weeks. Yes. Which yep. is going to be super fun. So, it's being put on. Uh, so, it's in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, it shout is, out. Shout out. It's on August 21st. Let me confirm that date again before I... I it is actually, August 21st. It is. Mm, it is. Is it? Okay, yes. It's on August 21st. <laughs> I'm looking at Allie it has right confirmed. <laughs> it's on August 21st. It is being hosted by Chick Shit Podcast. And it's really just a way for podcasts to network. Um, if you're East Coast podcast at all, it's it's easier to make it over to Nashville. To connect, if you will. If you will. And I hope you will. Um, but also an opportunity for listeners to come hang out. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Is it's not just for podcasters to get together and to talk about podcasting or not talk about podcasting. Like It's mm-hmm. a great opportunity for anyone in that area or who's willing to travel to come and hang out and drink with us or yeah, and hang out eat food with us or whatever we're doing i'm we're all figuring it out we are all figuring it out as we go so we are going to be posting stuff on our stories and on our instagram page about how you can participate it's a free event uh it doesn't cost you anything to participate if you do want to grab drinks along the way of course that's going to be Not a BYOB situation, although I'm not going to judge you at all. (laughs) None of my beeswax. But um, yeah, so just come meet up with us. We we have such like a a large following in Tennessee specifically. So I'm hoping that people like show up, show out, and we can meet, like put faces to the names. Also, if you're in Tennessee, how did you hear about us? Like just out of curiosity. That's a great question. Um, Because we're North Carolina, and you're not that far, obviously. They're next door. Yeah, but still, how'd you hear about that? It's very long. Really cool. Like, but if like Tennessee and North Carolina are like super long states. It's like two pieces of a puzzle that should never, you know, 
I don't should never Where am fit I going today. <laughs> I think I need food is really what's happening it's here. It's okay. It's all right. It's on the way. Um Ugh. It's all good. It's all connected. <laughs> don't feel concerned at all. But speaking of connectedness, what psychology are we topic are we topicking today? <laughs> so, today's topic is a little out of left field as are most of the topics that we choose because it's really what inspires us for the week or what we've been thinking about, what's come up for us, yeah. you know. So, I've been thinking a lot about OCD. Mm-hmm. OCD is obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, and the different pieces and the different ways that OCD impacts people. So specifically, um, I'm going to be talking about body-focused repetitive behaviors. There are two dominant types, trichotillomania, which we will talk about in depth and I'll explain what that means, and excoriation disorder, which is also called dermatillomania. Mm. So we're going to start with the Trichotillomania blog and a post from 2017 by Leslie. Leslie says, ever since I was a kid, I mean little, little, I can remember twisting and pulling my hair out. I can't really explain why I do it, but I can tell you how it feels because it's the feelings that drive the urges. It feels soothing. It feels controllable. It feels like you're alone. It feels hopeless. Then Leslie goes on to say, feelings are not facts. What trichotillomania feels like is not facts. Which I think is such a powerful statement. I don't know exactly how old Leslie is Mm -hmm. when Leslie wrote this. Um, But I thought it was a really great starting point. Oh, yeah. Also, I write notes to myself on my mirror in my bathroom pretty regularly. Yeah. It's the greatest ADHD life hack if you have ADHD, go get a dry erase marker and start leaving yourself notes on the bathroom mirror. I love seeing your notes on the bathroom. Um, I've now had a few people leave notes for me on the bathroom <gasps> mirror. When really? They, yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so next time you come over, leave a note for me on my bathroom mirror. The dry erase marker is right next to it. Um, but facts are, or feelings are not facts is now written on my mirror because I read this blog post. And I think it's so profound. Um, just because someone feels alone doesn't mean that they are alone. Mm-hmm. It's just a feeling. It's not a fact. And I think that that's just Absolutely. such a profound statement. Body-focused repetitive disorders cause people to compulsively damage their own physical appearance, meaning trichotillomania and dermatillomania impact your physical appearance. These used to be considered impulse control disorders, but are now most frequently obso- most frequently associated with obsessive compulsive disorders. Mm -hmm. Individuals develop trichotillomania for a number of reasons. In some cases, it's believed that people may have a predisposition based on biology, um, according to twin studies. So they looked at sets of twins Mm -hmm. to see if one had it, would the other one have it? And the answer was more frequently than not, yes. Yeah. It can also be associated with a variety of conditions, including depression, anxiety, OCD, and even ADHD. But OCD seems to be the most common one. You might have other like co-occurring disorders or comorbidities, but OCD is definitely um, a major component here. Obsessive compulsive disorders are chronic, long-lasting disorders in which a person has uncontrollable, unwanted, intrusive, and recurring thoughts, urges, or images, which are their obsessions, 
that result in repetitive behaviors. Mm -hmm. So the thoughts are the obsessions and the behaviors are the compulsions. Right. For body-focused repetitive disorders, it's less about the thoughts and more a response to feeling stressed, anxious, or even bored. So you may not constantly be sitting there like, oh, I need to pull out my hair now. That would be a very specific thought. But if you're feeling anxious or stressed, you might be pulling your hair out. Right. Does that make sense? Well, and I think everybody has like a self-soothing behavior. Absolutely. And and it sounds like this is a very particular type of that where it's it's destructive, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, But it is intended to, to lower your anxiety. In a lot of ways, yes. And sometimes it's just boredom. Like you just sit there and you're doing it without really even thinking about Mm -hmm. it. So I pulled my hair out in the fourth grade. Did you? I did. I had a bald spot right up here in the crown of my head in the fourth grade. And it was after I learned that pulling your hair out was a form of OCD. And basically, I essentially, I was like trying it out to see if like that would lower my anxiety. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. Was yeah. that helpful for you? Um, like, how did it feel for you? I mean, it, it was just, it's so long ago, but it was something I remember being like, uh, well, I understand that this might make me feel better. Yeah. Um, so I don't remember a ton about it. Otherwise, my mom was like really pissed because oh. I had a bald spot on the top of my head and she was not, she was like, what, like, what is going on? Yeah. Um, and she didn't really understand it or. No. And luckily it wasn't anything that stuck for me personally. Right. Um, you know, my anxiety is manifested in other ways now, <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely understand like now that I have long nails, I like kind of like pick at my nails or nail biting even I think we're gonna too. talk about that too like yeah. that's something that is like genetic in my family I think that has been passed down um yeah. but I really really feel for people who who have you know consistently pull their hair out because there's so many things connected to hair especially for women and beauty and like I can just imagine how much of a cycle that is Um, I really feel like you should have written my notes for this one. (laughs) I did not realize that that was such a personal experience for you. I know. I've never told you that. Thank you so much for sharing. You're welcome. With a thousand of our closest friends. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wow. So you've already got lots of thoughts, I'm sure. And feel free to jump in even more than usual for anything that you may have to offer. Because you're certainly more experienced in this area than I am. Um, but so like with your story, trichotillomania can begin when children are actually pretty young, mm-hmm. um, but is usually first recognized in adolescence. During this time, it affects males and females in equal numbers. Really? Yeah. In adulthood, though, it seems to affect females more. However, this could be because men are less likely to seek treatment and can hide it since male patterned hair loss oh. is uh, more accepted. Well, I've noticed I've had long and short hair in my adult life. And when you have longer hair, mm-hmm. you mess with it more. Right. Because it's more accessible. It's closer to where your hands are, essentially. But, like, also, um, like, biting hair, too, is a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, just, like, uh, uh, just an anxiety thing, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, And we're actually going to talk a little bit about biting hair, too. Mm. 
So I'm here to ruin all of the notes. <laughs> what I think is really interesting is your comment about hair being longer and therefore maybe more accessible for someone who's looking to pull out their hair. Because while it is most often associated with the scalp, some people also pull out their eyelashes, eyebrows, beard, and even in rare cases, they may pull um, hair from their arms, armpits, trunk, and even pubic areas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So while, yes, I think that especially if you're like bored pulling at your hair, mm-hmm. then having longer hair might be um, like it more accessible. Right. Um, it's certainly like cutting your hair short doesn't mean that you won't pull out your hair. Sure, sure. Um, so it's more, it's, it's essentially like a soothing. It can be, Mm -hmm. it can be a soothing thing, but it's also not just like playing with your hair and your hair falling out when you're driving or like mindlessly doing something. It's very, very different. It's very intentional. Exactly. And that's the piece about this is it's compulsive. Mm -hmm. So, um, it could be like, you're looking for a hair that's kind of a specific texture like if you're graying or you have uh, different textures within your hair Mm -hmm. or your eyebrows or whatever you might pull out specific pieces that either to you or even objectively feel different than other hairs Um, it might be like getting the root out is really satisfying for you some people really look to get that deep root out that's the thing is even eating the follicle is like a very particular part yeah yeah that yeah um people will often pull single strands out at a time until they get one that they feel like really satisfies that urge Mm -hmm. and you're right sometimes once the hair is pulled out individuals may chew swallow or otherwise just like play with that piece of hair Mm -hmm. um specifically the follicle but really any part of the hair Mm mm-hmm as part of which is not like good for digestion and it could it can create it can actually impact you yeah it definitely can yeah as part of ocd individuals may twist their hair or have other ritualistic behaviors including like counting your hair organize like ordering your hair by the pieces that you've pulled out oh wow or even just playing with the root there's typically a type of relief or gratification from this ritual, but it's short-lived, and then you very quickly start to feel shame or frustration. Right. So it's like this immediate, you feel good, you've got like that hit of some happy chemicals because you've gotten this thing, and you're now manipulating it or chewing on it or whatever, and then very quickly your brain is like, wait a second. Mm-hmm we know we're not actually supposed to be doing this or this doesn't actually feel as satisfying as we'd hoped. And obviously this is all being done like very privately because if you're pulling out your hair and organizing it, you need a proper space to do that. Right. Right. So there's a lot of shame associated. I was going to say that if you're doing things in private, automatically you're going to feel shame for it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when it's to manage stress and anxiety specifically, mm-hmm. you're already feeling like overwhelmed and peaked. Yeah. As far as energy goes. So, yeah. That's a really great point. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I read, I was specifically looking for people who have experienced trichotillomania or dermatillomania for this episode. So, I have a, a couple of quotes like sprinkled throughout here. This one is by. Um, Samantha Conway. 
who says, I started pulling my hair out when I was around 12 years old, but at the time I didn't realize it was happening. I would pull my hair absentmindedly when I was laying in bed and thinking about other things. When it started, there was no intention behind it. The best way I can explain trick for me is that it's like an itch. I feel mm-hmm. a physical sensation that's uncomfortable and I just want it to stop. Something in my head tells me that there is one hair that's bothering me and if I find it and pull it out, I'll feel better. Mm-hmm. Does that sound familiar yeah. like, to your experiences? A little bit. I mean, mine was so brief. Like, mine was very brief. It was right. probably over like a two-month period. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, and I, I found it because I had heard about it. So right. it was like, this could help me feel less anxious in yeah. my fourth grade mind. All right. Similarly, dermatillomania is the repeated picking at one's own skin, which results in skin lesions and causes significant disruption in one's life. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the key here is that they both impact your life in a significant way. Mm-hmm. So like if you are picking at a bump or something on your face and it's just one and you stop afterwards, it doesn't significantly impact your life. Right. Um, so kind of like if you're mindlessly twiddling your hair and pieces fall out, that's not trichotillomania. Right. Individuals uh, with dermatillomania may pick at healthy skin, minor irregularities like pimples or calluses, or even pick at lesions and scabs. Or like eczema, I, I would imagine, too, could could create some type of yeah, yeah. incident, right? What I find really interesting about this one is that more often than not, it's healthy skin that people are picking at mm-hmm. and then breaking the skin and creating, creating it, lesions right. or scabs. Um, it's common for people to spend up to several hours a day picking. Other symptoms may include rubbing the skin, scratching, repetitive touching, or um, digging into the skin, squeezing the skin repetitively, etc. It's also most commonly done on your face, arms, or hands using your fingernails, but some people do use tweezers or even biting. So kind of like your point earlier with chewing on your fingers, right? Um, that would be that would fall under the second category. Mm-hmm. There are also rituals associated with excoriation, picking scabs and playing with them, sometimes chewing on the skin that you've bitten off around your fingers, um, things like that. So I think there's something to say for like, feeling out of control like you have to like they don't say it's an itch you're trying to scratch that's not a saying for nothing it's literally like your brain it's a compulsion exactly right exactly as i itch my lower back (laughs) (laughs) um this one seems like it would be harder to diagnose i -hmm. think um because kids seem particularly fascinated with scabs yeah. Um, then when you hit adolescence, everyone develops acne. And I think a lot of people just pick at their skin pretty regularly. And there is. At that age. There, and, and with any age, I think there's some, well, maybe not. Maybe it's just me. But there's a satisfaction with, like, I thought about being an esthetician because skincare is, like, yeah. super important to me. But there there's some type of weird satisfaction for, like, Oh, absolutely. Popping a pimple, right? Yeah. The Dr. Pimple Popper videos are popular for oh a very God, good reason. I know. I saw that <laughs> shit on TLC and I was like, I mean, it's even too much for me to be TBH. Um, but there's a whole market for it because yeah. it's just that 
fascinating. I can do some of it. I can't do like the really, really gross stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but there's whole TikTok accounts, Instagram accounts associated to this show. Oh, girl. I know. It's fascinating. Um, but I think that that's what makes it a little bit harder to catch, maybe. Like a bald spot or the fact that you have pulled out your eyebrows or eyelashes seems pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Versus if you're, like, in the throes of adolescence. Oh, yeah. And you're picking at your skin or you're picking at scabs. I just feel like it would be harder for someone to recognize that that was an issue. Right. So dermatillomania seems like it would be harder to diagnose, at least from my perspective. Mm -hmm. Kids seem particularly fascinated with picking at their skin. Like, think, you know, kids on the playground picking at scabs, right? Right. And then when you hit adolescence, everyone has acne and, like, is constantly picking at their skin anyways. I just think a lot of people about that time do it, which might mean that uh, parents don't notice it as quickly if it becomes an issue. Mm -hmm. What sets dermatillomania apart from just casually picking at your skin is that people often focus on a primary area of the body, face is most common, And they feel an urge to do it for hours, and they don't feel as though they can stop. Um, They also have to be under, like, clinical distress or impairment while they're doing it. So they they may dissociate while they're doing it. They lose track of time because they just spend hours picking at their skin. And is it the same diagnosis if somebody is doing that as a result of some type of, like, hallucinogen or methamphetamine? So the difference there is that once you are no longer under a hallucinogen, then you aren't picking at your skin. Mm -hmm. To be diagnosed with one of these two disorders, it has to be chronic and ongoing. Right, got it. Whether it's for weeks, months, often it's for years. Mm -hmm. Maybe not consistently for years, but um, if you do it for an extended period of time and then stop and then start back up a couple of years later... Um, it's clinical. It's not a result of a hallucinogenic. Right. Got it. Yeah. Um, again, dermatillomania can cause significant emotional distress and impairs cognitive and sometimes occupational functioning. Like, think about picking at your skin around your fingers could really cause some occupational functioning issues. Um, here's another quote from a 19-year-old named Rafaela Koryotki. Trichotillomania is a complex and confusing disorder. Us tricksters can't even wrap our heads around it ourselves. Asking things like, why don't you just stop? Or why would you do that to yourself? Is not only frustrating, but it's also belittling. Trust me, if we could just stop, we would. No one wants to give themselves bald spots, but we can't help it. Be supportive, be understanding, and be kind. And all we can do is stay positive and keep pushing. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, earlier you mentioned other things that may fall under this category of body-focused repetitive behaviors, and a few of those would be nail biting, lip biting, like chewing on your lips. Oh, yeah. Um, and someone even said nose picking, and I don't know exactly how that factors in, but it was mentioned, so I want to put it out there. So treatment. Let's talk treatment. Some people can go without treatment and just naturally recover. However, it is a compulsive disorder, so you're working to overcome urges. This could mean that you need to identify triggers, find ways to distract yourself, um, anything that might prevent you from being able to do it, and which could then result in switching to some other 
you know, form of body-focused repetitive behavior, uh, but really just being aware of your actions. Mm-hmm. There are also some medications that may be helpful. I don't think any of them are actually proven to be helpful, but doctors will like recommend certain supplements or medications. Right. Most helpfully is uh, cognitive behavior therapy or habit reversal therapy. Additionally, decoupling therapy um, or decoupling practices, which basically replace the behavior when you experience something that triggers a compulsion. So um, if you know that when you're anxious, then you start pulling out your hair, recognize when you're anxious and do something else instead. Right. These have all been proven to be especially beneficial. Um, Cognitive behavior therapy is one of the things that we talk about frequently in working with adolescents because it really does work to rewire the ways that you're thinking which then impacts your behaviors Mm -hmm. so back to a lot of the things that you really mentioned early on that i find to be especially interesting is ideas of shame Mm -hmm. around um trichotillomania but also beauty standards like the level that we aspire to when we're young Mm -hmm. is so unrealistic and it just perpetuates a lot of these shame spirals so as i was reading blog posts and interviews with people who have been diagnosed with this so many discussed shame around pulling their hair out and several of them really talked about the attachment they have to their hair like they're not pulling it out because they don't like their hair that has nothing to do with it right in fact, most of them really loved their hair and they felt good about it when it was long. But once you start pulling it out, you feel a lot of you know shame about the way that it looks. So I don't want to say that if we're you know more accepting of differences, that would make it easier for people. But because these issues are deeply personal, it's about your brain. It's not just about society's standards. However, the lack of understanding and visibility in mainstream society does make it difficult to seek help. Mm-hmm. So if we're looking for those mirrors in society where we can see ourselves and we can see our own issues and recognize that it's an issue that other people are experiencing too, then maybe young people can seek help earlier and mm-hmm. realize that this is not a thing that they're alone in experiencing. There are very few movies uh, with characters who have trick, and none of them were familiar to me. Like... I, what are they? Okay, so um, the one that was, I think, the most common was Young Adult, which came out in 2011 hmm. and features Charlize Theron. I have never heard of that that I know of. Um, she, I think she, I read that she has trichotillomania, but they never really call it that. Like, they, it's not mm-hmm. a primary part of the movie. Right. Um, a few of the others are Dil- Dirty Filthy Love, Starry Eyes, Creep 2, um, Trickster, Unfriend, mm-hmm. and My Own Country. I Again, none of these... I, I don't love the way that that one sounds. <laughs> none of these, I think, explicitly state what it is. They right. just have, like, hints. And that, scenes. Right, and right. Just um but again, I've never seen any of them because mm-hmm. none of them were mains like were on my radar at the time that they came out. Right. I just think how many people experience the isolation and loneliness not only because they don't feel confident, 
but also they don't know how to communicate or even that there are other people out there who experience this. There's also a lack of understanding about OCD in general. Most people think of the repetitive nature of someone like Monk on TV, mm-hmm. who was super popular, but that's not all OCD. That's not how OCD actually presents. Mm-hmm. Um, two disorders, the two disorders we discussed today, really do lean towards the more compulsive side of OCD. However, as one article I read pointed out, the compulsive aspect of OCD is more observable, and therefore it's easier for people to empathize with and understand. The obsessive thoughts that are also part of OCD may go unnoticed and undiagnosed and without treatments for long periods of time. So if these are things that you're experiencing, reach out to a mental health professional. Um, There are also online services now to connect you, even if you're unable to find a mental health professional in your area. Um, because OCD and um, bo- body-focused repetitive behaviors are treatable. Mm-hmm. Any last thoughts? Wow, fascinating. And I think yeah. also, like, people... I mean, I hadn't even thought about that for... In years. Years! So I think, like, as we discuss... You know, these psychology topics, I think we'll all be kind of connecting to things that maybe we'd even like buried and forgotten about. Right. And I mean, two months of your life when you were young, fourth grade. Yeah. That's such a short time, but obviously it left a huge impact on you um, to still remember it and to even remember the ways that your family or society around Mm -hmm. you may have responded. Yeah. Like clearly there was some kind of long lasting impact there. Very interesting. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) Do you want to take a quick break and then we'll switch to your topic? Yes, let's take a break. We'll, We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Zandy. And I'm Liz. We're the hosts of Human Seeking Human, a podcast where we read the most entertaining personal ads, articles, and obituaries from old newspapers. Each week, we find each other's dream dates, read wild misconnections, and take a look at the most offbeat articles and ads from newspapers as far back as 150 years ago. We discuss everything from Hawaiian volcano murders to how personal ads played a big role in queer love life. So check out Human Seeking Human on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us at Human Seeking Pod on Instagram and Twitter, where we post some of our favorite newspaper clippings and weird ads. Hope you like what you hear, and we look forward to talking to you soon. Until then. And we're back. Okay, so get ready for a wild ride. Uh, More wild than body-focused repetitive behaviors. (laughs) (laughs) A little, yeah, I would say yes. (laughs) I would say yes. I am going to be talking about the Hicks babies. The Hicks babies. Dun dun. <laughs> Here we go. I don't know. How Here's to a transition segue. <laughs> Here's a transition that I am inserting. So, child laundering, black alley adoptions, <gasps> black market babies, and Girl. illegal adoptions are all terms for what we are going to be discussing today. Well, that's what you should should have started <laughs> off with. <laughs> so all of these are a scheme whereby children are adopted by parents who may or may not know, like, the origins of the child or the circumstances that the child is now being placed into adoption. Basically, 
they might not necessarily know where the baby's coming from. Girl, I've read several books about this. Most recently, I think the one was um, Before We Were Yours. Mm. It's so good. And it's based on a true story. Where does that take place? Uh, The Tennessee Children's Home? Yeah, Memphis, Tennessee in 1939. 1939. That's not what we're talking about. Okay. But, uh, well, that's a little bit before the time period we will be discussing. Okay, but it's interesting because this has been going on, and it's actually really the origin of foster care is um, in predominantly white families wanting to adopt children or not being able to have children and wanting to adopt. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and that's basically how our foster and adoptive systems were set up. Huh. So they really weren't ever designed for foster kids, which is why they continue to negatively impact foster kids. Right. So I might be a nerd with this topic. Oh, no. I mean, you are the adoption uh, expert here. I mean, I'm going to try. Yeah. There will be a quiz. Um, so these children are being acquired illegally or fraudulently. Quote, it may involve the trafficking of children, the acquisition of children through monetary arrangements, deceit, and or force. End quote. It also means that adoptive parents are often not properly screened. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also can can be negatively affecting potential adoptive parents because those parents can be discriminated discriminated against for various reasons, um, and it prevents a lot of proper vetting and documentation. So, not the proper way to adopt through, right. you know, the wrong channels. Right. Um, The intention of, quote, black market adoption is obviously monetary in the particular stance that I'm going to be covering. Um, However, I did come across some sources in regards to international adoption that were super fucking shitty and argue that, like, although the, quote, black market adoption is bad, it also, like, benefits the children because they're like quote better off than like where they come from it's super fucking icky yeah um so the issue i've been having with adoption recently is that when you start digging too deep and like really peeling back the layers of adoption it all feels very icky even the most well-intentioned well-prepared family the system as a whole Mm -hmm. is what's icky like Mm. individuals within the system can be awesome and well-intentioned and really successful kids can really benefit but how we got there really makes your skin crawl yikes and like i'm not going to be talking about international yeah um, i mean that's a whole right other which we've kind of like um in your lgbt adoption portion we did cover that so i don't want to be like repetitive um My particular circumstances, we are going to be discussing Dr. Thomas Hicks and his practice in the 1950s and 60s. In 1955, in McKaysville, Georgia, Dr. Thomas Hicks was providing a service that others in his area were not. During this time, abortion is illegal in the United States, and Dr. Hicks was performing abortions in his clinic. Mm -hmm. Quote, the poverty here in the Cooper Basin of the southeast Tennessee and far north Georgia 
which includes the town of McKaysville, often meant that pregnant women couldn't ask a relative or friend to help raise their children. The extra mouths to feed were simply too expensive. So there's a lot of articles that exist talking about like whether people liked or disliked Dr. Thomas Hicks. 50% of the articles you'll find are in favor of him. Mm -hmm. 50% are not. Right. So that's going to be something we'll come back to in the end. Um, And I think I know how you're going to be swaying, but I already have a few opinions. Um, (laughs) So I was recently in a training about adoption. Speaking of like being unable to feed Mm -hmm. children or being unable to care for them. And in one study, it was proven, I'm really, really hoping I get this percentage right, but for every $1 that was increased in the minimum wage in this area, the number of Child Protective Service reports, so people potentially Mm -hmm. entering foster care, went down by something crazy like 20%. Oh, wow. For $1 increase in hourly minimum wage. Like, literally when families are given the things that they need in order to meet their kids' needs. Mm -hmm. uh, Allegations of abuse, neglect, um, everything else just drops. $1 an hour for a full-time employee working 40 hours a week for 52 weeks a year is the equivalent of $2,080 extra dollars a year. Yeah. So that's, that's it. That's all it takes. Yeah. And that's the difference between being able to potentially feed a kid a little bit more and make sure that there's a little less stress on the family. Right. Because a lot of this is all about stress on the family too. Like if you're stressed about not being able to feed yourself or your kids, you're going to be more angry. You're going to be like more reactive because you've got this tunnel vision for not being able to meet your most basic needs. Right. For survival. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, An article I read said that Dr. Hicks may have been motivated to begin his practice because women were dying from botched abortions in the area. Um, I think this is one of those, like, idyllic perspectives of him. Mm -hmm. Is that a word? Idyllic? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But either way, women continued to see him for his services. Um, And there kind of became, like, a transition. So... After a while, instead of uh, consenting to perform the abortion right away, he began to provide assistance to the pregnant mothers, um, giving them places to stay, giving them resources, sometimes even like financial Mm -hmm. assistance um, to assist these women to carry their pregnancies to full term. These women would deliver their babies in the care of Dr. Hicks. However, unfortunately, the babies would often suffer complications and pass away. In 1964, Dr. Hicks lost his medical license. Um, Some articles read that he lost it. Some said that he surrendered it, but it was for performing abortions. So there was some type of investigation. He no longer had his practice after this. Um, But he died in 1972 at the age of 83. In 1997, a series of individuals began a journey of their own. Little did they know that their stories would intertwine with Dr. Hicks. 
Individually, several men and women in their 20s and 30s began searching for their biological parents. I can already see where this is going. Uh Uh-huh. So, you see, they had been adopted as newborns in the 1950s and 60s. And after asking information from their adoptive parents, their stories became more and more similar. Dr. Hicks had been providing another service. He was selling, quote, black market babies out of the back of his facility. So all the babies that had complications right after birth and did not survive, he was actually selling. That is correct. Wow. Yeah. So quite literally, adoptive parents would drive into the back alley behind the building paying between $800 and $1,000 in cash in exchange for the infant. And that's in 1960? 1955, like 1950 to 65. Okay, so that's a lot of money. Yeah, like $1,000 is like a $10,000. It's like $10,000. Yikes. Okay. Dr. Hicks would provide a birth certificate to the new parents, Instead of having the biological parents' information on it, it would have the adoptive parents' information on it. Um, This was easy for the new parents to either include their own or it would arrive to them in the mail um, with their information already on it. So what does this do? And you know, and our Teamsters know, I'm all about record keeping. Yeah. Right? I mean, just, it's so important. But Dr. Hips, Dr. Hips, Dr. Hicks kept zero records of the biological mothers, any of the births. There was none of that. So when they went Probably back... Probably to cover his own ass. Absolutely. But like when they went back to investigate all of this, there was nothing. Wow. Like a puff of smoke. So I mean, he, even serial killers keep mementos. You would think right? they would have kept something. Something. But he died like 25 years before any of this ever came to light. But it prevents individuals from finding information about their true identity, their birth parents, where they're coming, like where they come from. Yeah. Jane Blasio from uh, Ankren, Ohio, is thought to be the youngest of the, quote, Hicks babies. She um, has made it her life's work to find out the truth regarding Dr. Hicks and the Hicks Clinic. She traveled to McLeansville, Georgia, and tried to get information regarding the Hicks Clinic. She began asking questions around town. She walked into a store. Nobody would talk to her. Um, She'd been back on, like, multiple, um, you know, from Ohio to Georgia. So that's not, like, a short trip. Right. Um, She walked into a store, like a local shop, and she asked the owner some questions regarding the clinic. He said that he couldn't talk to her then. He slipped her a note with a piece of paper like that had his address on it and said, basically, like, come here after dark. I don't want anybody knowing I'm talking to you. So this whole town, it seems like, is in on it. It would seem that way. It turns out that he was an ambulance driver for the clinic, and he had some, uh, you know, firsthand experience. So he knew Dr. Hicks. He knew the patients. Um, And this was, like, the very first insight. This was, like, as things were beginning to crack. 
He was then able to provide the names of some receptionists and other people that worked firsthand uh, with Dr. Hicks. This is when the information regarding the birth mother started coming out. They all began telling similar stories about the back alley deals, about affairs that Dr. Hicks was having with young girls in the community. (gasps) So he was not just, like he was creating babies. Mm -hmm. Allegedly, that's the situation. Wow. As well. Sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. How traumatic for these moms. Yeah. Like, even if they had been planning to have an abortion and he said, you know, just carry it to term, we'll put it up for adoption or whatever. Like, it's just traumatic to be told that your kid has died or like to not have any time with them Mm -hmm. before they're whisked away without any paper trail. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, you have absolutely no connection at that point. Absolutely. We'll get into some specifics, some specific examples. We're going to cross that bridge here in just a second. As well as the mothers who were told that their babies had died, but instead were sold outside the facility to adoptive parents. And, of course, the adoptive parents don't know because they're not going to ask because they're... Because they've got what they... Because they're getting a baby. Yeah. Right? Jane followed the birth certificate trail um, because, of course, he had to submit these birth certificates, whether they had the correct names on them or not. But yeah. she found over 200, <gasps> 200 birth certificates with parents outside of McCainsville, Georgia, primarily in Akron, Ohio. Why Akron? I have no idea. Like, how fucking random. Super random. 200. So, they, you know, he wasn't primarily servicing people in the communities for the adoption portion. Um, Although, he does have an adoptive granddaughter. So, that... um, But a lot of them were from out of state. Yeah. Which is safer from his perspective is to get them as far away as possible, I would think. I mean, I guess, but like, I'm just trying to wrap my mind around all of this. I mean, none of it makes sense. No. None of it makes sense. Well, but I also understand the logic that goes into it and like the amount of privilege you have to have as a human to feel like you can do this to people without their consent. Oh, absolutely. I just cannot imagine getting to the point where you can justify any of this. I don't particularly care whether you're, you know, whatever else. Like, I think that you have to be pretty deplorable to get to the point of taking away a woman's child without her consent. Oh, fucking the ball, like the ballsiness. Like, are you fucking kidding yeah. me? The fact that you think that you can do that to somebody. And then, oh girl, we are going to cross that bridge. Hang tight. So 200 birth certificates, right? Steven Dilbeck is thought to be the very first Hicks baby that was adopted illegally. After discovering that he was indeed a Hicks baby, he went on a journey to find out his biological parents and his relatives. Due to hashtag DNA. Praise the Lord. I put that in my notes. (laughs) (laughs) He was able to find who his parents were through DNA. Wow. And unfortunately, they had passed away. 
but he was able to find his sister, his biological sister, who was still living, and her name is Kathy. Aww. And it did come to light that Stephen's mother was told that Stephen was a stillborn child. Oh, that and poor so woman. she never consented to an adoption. She went in thinking that they were going in to deliver their baby. So... If, if they believe that Stephen is the very first Hicks baby, mm-hmm. the intention is very clear. Yeah. Making money. Absolutely. So the other people in the town that think he was a great guy, I mean, granted, he was doing abortions in a time where those were not accessible. But are you fucking kidding me? Like, completely taking advantage of the situation and all for his personal benefit. Absolutely. Like, you know that not a single mom got a penny of whatever it was he was making. No. I mean, no way. She still probably had to pay him for medical costs. Oh, that's a good. Yeah, absolutely. I just. Oh, he's a bad man. (laughs) Um, Another question continues to arise regarding Dr. Hicks. His own granddaughter agreed to have his body exhumed from the grave (gasps) for DNA testing to collect his DNA to confirm her own biological DNA. Is this the alleged adopted granddaughter? This is the adopted granddaughter. Okay. Um, Because she wanted to know whether she was actually biologically uh, related. related. She had a striking similarity to her own uh, adopted father. So, you know, she wasn't she wasn't quite sure. I mean, having, um, she didn't quite know the story. I mean, having a grandfather with such a reputation. Yeah. Um, so she got his fucking body dug up out the ground. Like, and that's not an easy process. No. At all. No, courts really to, don't like to do that. They do not like to do that. Um, but there was also a mausoleum. That was his, that they had to essentially break into, um, hoping that perhaps he had kept some of his documentation or any type of, type of like related documents to the clinic or her or, or any information they were looking for. However, upon opening the mausoleum, they saw it was completely empty. That's spooky. Super spooky. Also a waste. I mean, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but like. If you're going to have a mausoleum, at least put some shit in it. Just like decorate. I don't know. One of the Hicks babies, um, when she was picked up from the clinic, her adoptive parents were told that she was the biological daughter of a prominent member of the McCainsville area. So she grew up thinking her father could have possibly been Dr. Hicks. Yeah. Um, And that's kind of the theory that she always like had in the back of her mind. So when the DNA came available, she was very interested in getting her DNA tested. Um, However, the DNA would prove that she was actually the biological daughter of the mayor. Oh, shit. This story has so many twists and turns. I feel like I just keep saying, oh, shit, over and over. So that would explain how this motherfucker was able to get by with this for 15 years. He had the mayor in his back pocket, too. Also, one of the Hicks baby's great uncle 
through DNA testing, was the chief of police. <gasps> so all this story of these, runs so deep. All of these predominant figures in the community knew about Dr. Hicks, knew what he was doing in his clinic, and decided to turn you know, and turn sent away. the women that they had slept with to him mm-hmm. to solve their problem without the woman's consent well and that's that is so the mayor she did consent to an adoption okay however much coercion that was right is unclear i don't have the information about the chief of police's great niece nephew nephew um that i'm not sure about so there was a, a combination of people who were consenting and who were not consenting to these adoptions. Right. So, but regardless, it's not great. Don't like it. Don't like it. There were at least two DNA matches for the Hicks babies being Dr. Hicks's biological children. Only two? Or at least, you said at least two. So they're still working on it. I've been looking through sources trying to figure out how many there are because in the original allegations and through the original talking to people in the community, there's expected to be between five and eight okay. of the 200. Uh-huh. Um, so as of right now, you know, only two that I've been able to find in like written publications are uh, matched yeah so uh, i mean that's too too many considering that he was like in a monogamous relationship um and definitely doing this for financial gain well and so and that's the thing too like was he just like having affairs or was he like intentionally getting people pregnant i mean like god like your brain can wander we can speculate as much as we want but i mean i really don't know yeah I mean, regardless, it's super icky and I hate it. Um, But like I said in the beginning, people are still like very much, he was a good man. I mean, he may have done. I mean, he may have been nice to you, but that doesn't make make him a, a nice man. And he may have made abortions accessible in a time when they were not accessible. Um, Like, he may have done fine things. But that doesn't make him a good man. No. No. In fact, I'm going to say that selling babies on the black market is the opposite of being a good man. Right. I'm going to have to agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to agree with you. Dr. Hicks's son-in-law had interned with Dr. Hicks and had began his own practice in Chattanooga, Tennessee. One of the Hicks babies has been linked to Chattanooga, Tennessee, and Dr. Hicks. She was born in Tennessee, adopted in Tennessee. Her birth parents are from Tennessee. However, her birth certificate links back to the Hicks Clinic, which means there is a possibility that the black market babies span way beyond Georgia and perhaps across state lines into Tennessee. We haven't even dug in to the new clinic this could be happening in so many other places we don't know 
How many other children are running out of time searching for their biological parents? Because these guys are, I mean, they're getting older. Yeah. And that is the story of Dr. Hicks and the Hicks babies. Just processing all of that. Um, I know that DNA testing, especially through sites like Ancestry DNA and 23andMe, have become increasingly popular oh, for yeah. um, adoptees and children in foster care in recent years, which is fantastic. I think one of the things that has been interesting for me to observe from the outside is the emotional impact that that can have on the youth or the the people who are figuring out that there may be more to their adoption story mm-hmm. than they otherwise believed. Um, yeah. And I think that there's a lot of, I mean, we hope for the best, right? You hope that you're able to be reunified with your birth family and get all of your questions answered. And in cases like this, I mean, what a tragic yeah. origin story. And misjustice and like, like imag- exploiting women and authority and yeah. so many layers. So many layers. And knowing that you might be a part of this in some ways, like maybe you'll feel solidarity with the other people who have also gone through this, but also what anger you could potentially feel for your birth parents or, you know, towards the person, towards Dr. Hicks. Like, mm-hmm. Or your adoptive parents, or, I think. Yeah. Well, and a lot of these, and, and to answer your first point, there is a huge community surrounding the Hicks babies. They have created such a network because after you discover that you're a part of this thing, answers are exactly what you start looking for. And yeah. so a lot of these people, um, you know, there was like 20% who started looking in the 90s and early 2000s and then the other ones started started looking after they made the connection that hey i'm from mccainsville georgia that's what it says on my birth certificate Mm -hmm. too i'm Mm -hmm. from the hicks clinic how much did you buy me for mom and dad yeah um but i mean people have found their siblings through this there are people who you know they they've been able to find some of their biological parents right um and a lot of that is through the dna testing that we have access to today and i'm sure dr hicks back in the 1950s and 60s that was of course never going to be on his radar yeah there's no way he could have predicted that that they would be able to trace it back to him yeah yikes i just there's so much to unpack with the ways that our foster and adoptive systems work Um, and who they advantage and who they disadvantage. And that's such a long conversation. Um, I think we're going to have to really, like focusing on Dr. Hicks is huge, but also feels a little bit more manageable than thinking about the entire system. Because at least right now, we're able to find some of those answers, and I hope find some relief for the children and families who were impacted by this. And we'll see what happens with the Tennessee clinic. I think that's going to be another big piece. Yeah. So we will send updates as well. So as far as intersection this week, (laughs) I think, you know, it kind of goes down. It comes back to like the feeling of isolation. Uh Uh-huh. Now tell me more about that. For all you Teamsters out there listening. 
<laughs> um, the feeling of isolation, obviously, you know, from my story, the Hicks babies are feeling, um, they're going through an experience of figuring out where they're coming from. Yeah. And in your particular diagnoses, those people are also feeling isolated and potentially feeling shame as though they have something that they can't relate to other people about or may need to hide. Obviously Um, it's manifesting differently. Absolutely. And yours is like the actual physical act of manifestation. I would. Yeah. It's the actual compulsive behavior Mm -hmm. versus yours, which is just a lived experience that could also result in shame and isolation. Mm -hmm. Shame may be the wrong word, but certainly isolation. Well, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, ultimately, our two topics don't intersect a lot because they're, I mean, they're just so different. Well, Um, one thing that we kind of touched on at the very end of mine that I think could also um, be beneficial in yours is we talked a little bit about seeing mirrors of ourselves in society, like seeing people who are going through something either in media or um, in popular culture in some way, like with trichotillomania or any body-focused repetitive behavior, if you see someone else who has experienced that, then you feel connected and you you know begin to develop a language to talk about it. Mm-hmm. One of my frustrations with adoption, especially like not especially black market adoption because I would like to think it's relatively rare, though it's not unheard of. Like in my field, I've you know worked with a few kids that there's been some questionable adoption practices, but you don't see that reflected in the media. Mm-hmm. Um, I read the book before we were yours that talks about um, kind of some of these really difficult, problematic adoption practices in what we say the thirties. So just before Dr. Hicks. Right. Um, But there aren't good representations or accurate representations of adoption in a lot of current media. Mm -hmm. And I think that could really benefit adoptees who might be struggling with figuring out who their bio family is and what that experience might be like. Because if you don't have anything to compare it to, it's hard to know what to expect. Right. Oh, absolutely. And and that it, I mean, if there's 200 kids through this particular clinic alone from such a short period of time i think that i mean it's obviously a bigger issue than we would have ever initially imagined um so why aren't we talking about it more absolutely i can't believe i hadn't heard of this until you mentioned it yeah um in fact i feel like i need to go and do some research immediately yeah (laughs) i mean it it's 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 a wild ride, and I yeah. I know that the the Hicks babies are like you said using this opportunity to communicate with each other to find out what each of them know to learn more about their right. own individual stories. Absolutely, um, and hopefully there's as much of a community for my story as there is for yours for people to, you know, find that community and absolutely progress forward. So yeah. I think that's it for this week. You know, 
I think the thing I enjoy the most about our intersections is we just kind of start talking and hope we end up somewhere. That's exactly <laughs> we normally <right>. do. <laughs> did so, we do it? And sometimes when we're done, I'm like, wait, what did I just say? <laughs> oh, man. I think we got somewhere this week. Yeah. You always sound so smart when you talk. So I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is she <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. If you support us, oh, go to patreon.com. Let us know. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We are on social media at Pod Without an Odd. Um, we love to hear from you guys, so definitely, um, you know, send us an email at Pod Without an Odd at gmail.com. And we just appreciate each and every one of you so, so much. Soup dupes. If you support us, blink twice. And if you're out there, keep listening. Thank you for listening to Podcasts Without an Audience. Find us on social media at pod without an odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook or find us on the web at podcast without an audience.com. Shoot us an email at pod without an odd at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening.